In our last episode of Eat Scripture, we were in 1 Kings 19, and we kind of were coming to the end of a section there mm-hmm. where Elijah had had this great victory. Yes. And then became very discouraged. Right. Got discouraged. And, uh, even though God was providing for him and mm-hmm. nothing had really happened necessarily that was so bad except that he had had his life threatened yeah jezebel threatened him but yeah um and he knew there was she was coming after him with force but yes nothing really bad has happened to him at that point like you say but but why haven't things gone well why didn't she just realize that yahweh's the right god and she should just be bound to him i mean huge decisive victory that he's just had and yet you know he's just discouraged just like I feel like this is a passage that we can take some heart from because he's like we are. Mm-hmm. He gets discouraged. He's a yes. real person. And even though looking in from our end, we know mm-hmm. God's with him and, you know, yeah. taking care of him. But he feels discouraged and alone. Yes. And so he's fled to Mount Horeb mm-hmm. and He's up there and he hears from God in the silence. Yes. In a hole in the ground in the silence is where he hears from God. In the utter silence is where God is. Not in the earthquake, not in the fire, not in the wind. Right. And so we've already talked about how that represents very much a picture of Jesus in the tomb. That that's where God really speaks. That's where God really meets people. The reason what we've seen in Elijah in chapters 18 and 19 is the great, wonderful victory of God over all evil in chapter 18. That's a cross image, a crucifixion image, followed immediately by the fall of the rain, but also by the desperation of still the ones who follow God and them finding themselves in the tomb. And so we're we're watching very much a crucifixion and resurrection picture of Jesus as it works out in Elijah. But Elijah doesn't understand that yet. He's still on the, you know, far, (laughs) far from the front end of that. And and, uh, so he's going through this and it's being written this way for us so that we and for the early apostles so they could look back and go, oh, look. The victory that was won on that day didn't lead to the world just submitting itself to God. Right. But the great part is that all evil was overcome by the one who did go into the tomb mm-hmm. and who was in utter silence and then was called out to anoint someone in his stead, to anoint his disciples in his stead to do the same kinds of things that he did. Yeah, oh, that's so, very... That's very good. I'm glad you kind of explained it that way. So now we have, he's heard from God and God has told him to anoint a king of Syria, mm-hmm. which I don't know, even know how that would happen. Yeah, he's a prophet. And we actually Israel. never read that that happened. Right, we don't. But but neither do we read that no. it didn't. And there's no indication that Elijah has done anything wrong. Right. So, yeah. I mean, my notes in my Bible kind even of. Even in your study Bible kind of take indicate. It, that he didn't do the stuff that not God doing what him. he's supposed to, but yeah. I don't think we have any indication. I of that. think that is off base. I really do. I think that's off base to think that of Elijah. And then he's supposed to anoint a king over Israel, Jehu, mm-hmm. and Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He's supposed to anoint as a, a prophet that's going to take his place. Yes. Uh, and as I said, that was a little, that's a little awkward. 
Okay. Yeah, I guess exactly. My job's ending. Um, but job's over. if Here's we see it the way you're talking about, this yes. is like Jesus anointing his disciples yes. to go out and um, spread the word That's right. in his stead. Mm-hmm. Be his hands and feet. That's right. So this is what Elisha is going to do. And yep. so we're going to start here in verse 19. And this is the first we're going to get to see Elisha. Yes. So just like Elijah means my God is Yahweh, Elisha is going to come along after him. And Elisha is from the very makeup in Hebrew is Eli Yeshua, which would be my God is salvation or my God is Jesus. Because that's Yeshua is Jesus' cool. name. That's what it is. <laughs> so, yes. So one is my God is Yahweh. The next one who's going to come and replace him is my God is Jesus. My God is salvation. Uh, and so really, really interesting as we watch the types work here as a move from Christ, our, our Christ figure, Elijah, to our disciples figure, Elisha. And so, so now we're going to watch as Jesus actually, <laughs> as Elijah actually anoints his successor and what that looks like. So, yes. so we'll start reading in verse 19 and go through okay. 21 just to start. So we're so glad you're listening to the podcast today. This is the Eat Scripture podcast. Yes. We are Eric and Gina Robinson. Hello. And, uh, just enjoy having you here for this little study. Yes. Okay, I'm reading from chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. Mm -hmm. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing the twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Wow. Good stuff. So a lot happens in a short, very short little space. Yeah. Yeah, Very, very self-contained, compacted little space. So Elijah does depart and goes and finds Elisha. The son of a judge, the son of Shaphat. Shaphat means judge. So we're just taking that as maybe a title as much as anything. He's the son of the judge. Uh, Maybe a man seems to be certainly a family with some means because they have these 12 yoke of oxen and that is no small thing. Exactly. That is, that is wealth right there. But of course, Um, I think that's also symbolic of Israel. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime yes. we see 12, 12. symbolic of Israel. Yep. So this is, uh, it has deep meaning. And we'll yes. talk about that in a minute. So to be taking on a yoke uh, and to be plowing and to have this 12 reference, it seems that Elisha maybe is being alluded to. He's the son of a judge. He's maybe being alluded to as the kind of person who's very serious about the law, very serious mm-hmm. about Israel, very serious mm-hmm. about being right before God and doing the right thing. Right. Um, that could well be what we're talking Which about Which if we're here. talking about Elisha as a type mm-hmm. or a symbol of the apostles, mm-hmm. Or the disciples, disciples. whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Uh, he's 
that makes sense. Yeah, because he wants these to do were, right by God. These were young Jewish men who were wanting to follow God. They yeah. loved that they found a rabbi that would take them mm -hmm. under his wing. Yes. And so. I think so. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And so when Elijah passes by him, he casts his cloak upon him. It's true that we don't see him anoint Elijah or Elisha in the way that we think with of some sort of oil or something. Yes. But is this really, wouldn't this really kind of count as an anointing you would think by the way it's talking? And we don't even know if that means literally he put his cloak on him, but in whatever way this phrase is used, it seems to indicate very clearly that he's taking him in as the one who's under him and the one who's next. And, okay. well, you know, he's been anointed. He's been, he's the heir apparent uh, to Elijah. And they, he Think left... in your head about Jesus calling his disciples mm -hmm. and how he said, you know, he went where they were fishing and mm -hmm. he said, come follow me, put away your nets and come follow me. Be fishermen of men. Yep. Yep. As we're reading this. Yeah. This is yeah. very, not unlike that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so Elijah, uh, he leaves the oxen. Elisha does and runs after Elijah. And, but he also says there in verse 20, let me kiss my father and mother. And then I will follow you. And then Elijah says, go back again for what have I done to you? Which is a way of saying, hey, <laughs> I haven't hogtied you and forced you to follow me here. For goodness sake, yes, you can go back and kiss your mom and dad. Absolutely. That's what he's saying. It's just, of course, go back again. What have I done to you? Oh, my goodness. Do you think I've forced you out without saying goodbye? Of course not. Um, and then he returns takes the yoke of oxen, sacrifices them, boils their flesh with the yokes. In other words, he breaks up the yokes, the pieces of wood, and uses them to build the fire to boil the flesh over the, the fire. Meat. Yeah, to prepare the meat. And That's then gave it to the people, which would be a lot of food. This is a gigantic well, feast. Awesome. But of course, what is he what what is he doing if not burning the bridge behind him. That's what he, right. that's what Elijah is saying. I am fully committed here. This is what I'm going right. to do. The way and, he has made a living is over. He, yes. He is following in faith. Here. Now, this reminds us very much of Luke 9, 61 and 62, where Jesus tells somebody to follow him. And they say, hey, let me go say farewell to my parents. And Jesus says, anyone who looks, puts his hand back to the plow after being called forward is not fit for the kingdom of God. Which is interesting that he uses the word plow there. Exactly. It's he a plow reference. was referencing And it's a farewell to mom and dad. This yeah. obviously, obviously he's referencing this story but jesus says not to yeah jesus he says doesn't. oh you want to go back and say farewell to your parents that's like putting your hand back to the plow and the point jesus is making i'm convinced is this is how different it is to follow me even than it was for elisha to follow elijah it's yeah. that much more important are you willing to even give up the closest relationships in your life i don't know that jesus never let anybody we know that he did uh for goodness sake, he's let people say goodbye to their parents before. There, you can't convince me that Jesus never let anybody say goodbye to their parents. That's that not what he's about. He was making about how serious this the seriousness was. of the commitment, even greater than making a commitment to Elijah, is making a commitment to me. Jesus is trying to say that's that's what everybody would have in their head, and certainly Elisha um, is is he's not aware of what that means in Jesus's day, but he is taking his commitment very seriously here because he's burning his bridges behind him. Right. He doesn't have a chance to go back to the plow. There's nothing left for him there. He's saying, I'm done with this life. I've been called to a new life. And that's what he's doing. And in that way, he represents the disciples. Yes. 
Later on, he becomes a type of the disciples who will follow with full commitment. And also with this reference of the yoke, mm -hmm. um, we kind of think of Matthew 11, 20, let's see, 29, mm -hmm. take my yoke upon you mm -hmm. and learn from me for I'm yep. gentle and lonely in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Yes. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm. So he's taking, he's telling them, he's taking them away from the yoke of legalism. Servitude, legalism. And he's giving them a light, lighter yoke yep. with himself. And I think yep. that's what's happening here too, especially with that mention of the 12. Yes, the 12. And, um, just maybe that this is a good Jewish family and mm -hmm. young man who's mm -hmm. son of the um, judge yes following the law following the law law and, law law and he's being called to to a different take kind of on yoke. a new yoke mm -hmm. um, yeah leaving the yoke behind of the 12 uh 12 right. the jewish ideal um and realizing that there's a better way mm -hmm. a better way yeah i think so okay all right let's go on to chapter 20. Well, since we are getting close to the end of our time, we're just going to do a small little piece here to set up this next section. Okay. And so uh, I think I'll read verses 13 through 15, and we can talk about that a little bit. And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will give it into your hands this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, by whom? He said, Thus says the Lord, by the servants of the governors of the districts. Then he said, Who shall begin the battle? He answered, You. Then he mustered the servants of the governors of the districts, and they were 232. And after he mustered all the people of Israel, 7,000. Okay. This is how it starts. There's some interesting pieces in here. You're right that we have to go over and talk about just a little bit. First of all, right as he's, he's decided to go to battle, he's going to go war against Ben-Hadad. This prophet, this unnamed prophet comes yeah, to him. we don't now, know who this was. Yes, exactly. We have no idea. We've already seen, uh, seen unnamed prophets come in Kings. And here we have another one, an unnamed prophet. Which this in this a, whole unusual. section that we're going through right now, we're going to see We're a lot about of to that. see several of those. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Uh, and so, <clears throat> but he, here he is, a prophet coming from Yahweh to talk to Ahab, who says, thus says the Lord, you see this great multitude against you, this man with his 32 kings uh, that are coming against you? Behold, I'll give it into your hands today, and you shall know that I am the I am. I am mm -hmm. Yahweh. They and are obviously greatly outnumbered and yes. overwhelmed. So Ahab says, well, by whom? You know, how do we do it? Who's going to win it for us? And he said, thus says Yahweh, by the servants of the governors of the districts. Now, I think that's some kind of title mm -hmm. that he can, he knows exactly who he's supposed to go mm -hmm. get. Okay, find these guys who are in these positions, these servants of the governors of the districts, and get them gathered together. It's going to be through them somehow that this works. And so, so then, it was the servants, not the governors. That's so, right. That's interesting too. Yeah, yeah. God's using the lowly, the quote slaves, the ebed, mm -hmm. uh, the servants of the governors to do it. And they were, uh, let's see. And then he said, who shall begin the battle? And he answered you. You're going to be the one who starts this fight. Right. You don't, don't wait for him to come against you. You take the battle to him. Right. You go out first. 
And then he mustered the servants of the governors of the districts, and we find out they were 232. 232. And after them, he mustered all the people of Israel, 7,000. Okay, so what we're finding out here, this becomes a very interesting number for us, this 232. In Jewish gematria, there a phrase used throughout the Bible that we can see, we read it all the time, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to someone. That's right. Or, yeah. That's right. Debar Yahweh, Debar Yahweh, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. We see it all the time. Well, so it's a very common phrase. Any Jew would be able very quickly in his mind to look at that phrase and add up the the letters, the numbers that are associated with the letters of that phrase, and it comes to 232. Right. Uh, just a little aside here, if people are listening and don't know what gematria is, mm -hmm. the Hebrew language does not have numerals. numerals. And so they used their letters as numerals. Right. And so every word also was a number. Yes, because you, you would know the letters, so you would know the numbers that went with each letter because they were always consistent. Mm -hmm. So words phrases would you could, add up you could to a quickly add number. them up and go oh well that phrase equals this right number. so i just wanted to explain that if you hadn't listened to yep. when we've talked about that before that this 232 mm -hmm. the word of the lord would add up to that yes the word of the lord that phrase you could go oh look those letters add up to 232 mm -hmm. the word of the lord and it's used all the time so 232 becomes a fairly important number oh it meets the word of the lord that's mm -hmm. that's a that's a great number uh, 232. And so when I see it here, and this is the only place the Bible uses it, but I'm, my mind can't help but go, if number. I know that right. as a number, this is the only time the word uses it. Yeah. That the, that the Bible uses it as a number. And obviously I see it, because I'm the like, context was these servants of the governors. Exactly. So they were, yeah. They're 232 servants of the governors. And he, that's the way that Yahweh, Yahweh is going to defeat this enemy is by these 232. Oh, oh, he's going to defeat them by the, his word. He's yes, given them his word. The word. This is symbolic of the fact that the word is how my, you, you're going to have, and we, we're going to watch as he, he finds out where he's supposed to put them. He's going to let them go out first, which means the word of the Lord has to be put first, but we'll see right. that in a little bit. That's right. exactly, as long as he does that, it he can win. before them. It goes before them. Always put the word of the Lord first and you'll defeat your enemies. And that's the ones by whom this battle is going to be this won. This battle will be won. So we because, know that. Uh, and so, and then 7,000, which follow them. Right. And we've already heard 7,000 as a very good, in a very good context where they're the ones in chapter 19, verse 18, who never bow to Baal. There's our 7,000. The only other time 7,000 gets used in this entire book of, of Kings is right here. And so... Again, we're getting kind some good suit. indications. Yeah. This seems like a good thing. That, yeah. that and 7,000, of course, is it, that seven is so important. Yep. Uh, Such complete, a perfect, perfect. And, and so he's using that number here. Yep. There's a, a complete number yep. of people. A perfect number. Who are the number go that God will use to defeat your enemies. Right. And so that's what Ahab is going out with that. This sounds really good yes. so far. God is really trying to get Ahab to listen to him and to come, you know, submit to him and just go my way and this can go well. Right. And this is also Ahab will know that 
Yahweh is God. That Yahweh, yes. This should teach Ahab. You will see by today that right. I'm the God you have to right. listen to. So really um, the grace uh, that God is extending here to Ahab to yes. give him another chance. He yes. just keeps giving him chances. Give him to trying to get him on board with him. Yep. To exactly. come back. So anyway, that's setting up this next part that we'll continue talking about next time. That's awesome. Awesome, which is a great setup. So here we go. Well, we, we're really glad y'all are with us. Thanks for listening again. Yes, a huge cliffhanger. <laughs> like that what never happens. Um, but boy, come back or read ahead or something. But we'll talk more yeah. about it next time. Uh, and so hope you have a great day, great few days. We'll be talking to you soon. God bless, everybody. So I'm reading in chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his army together. Thirty-two kings were with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and closed in on Samaria and fought against it. And he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your best wives and your children are also mine. And the king of Israel answered, As you say, my lord, O king, I am yours and all I, that I have. The messengers came again and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad, I sent to you, saying, Deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. Nevertheless, I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they will search your house and the house of your servants and lay hands on whatever pleases you and take it away. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark now and see how this man is seeking trouble, for he sent to me for my wives and my children and for my silver and my gold, and I did not refuse him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. So he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king, All that you first demanded of your servant I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, The gods do so to me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people. Who follow me. I'm sorry. And the king of Israel answered, Tell him, Let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off. When Ben Hadad heard this message as he was drinking with the kings in the booths, he said to his men, Take your positions. And they took their positions against the city. Woo! Okay. This is really. I'm, I'm kind of reading this as text. <laughs> <laughs> This is quite the demand going on. Um, this is Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, and he's come against Israel with a large force. 32, it says 32 kings, the word, 32 kings. Mm -hmm. Now, they're probably not kings like he's a king. Well, maybe king, like uh, heads of big un, families. Or, under you know, him like, somehow. Yeah. I think, I don't think we're, we're, we are at all talking about like 32 different nations, not even close, that have aligned with him to go against Israel. That's not what we're talking about, I don't think. Much more like heads of, maybe heads of areas, heads of families, regions, whatever it is, mm -hmm. something. Like governors or something. Right. Which, um, even still, that's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a and that, that's what we should see, that it's a major force that's coming against Israel. And then he makes a demand of, of uh, Ahab, that Ahab needs to give him the silver, gold that you have, your best wives and children also are mine. And at that, 
Ahab doesn't refuse, which you're like, okay, you already have the problem with him. Oh my gosh. I mean, how much is he willing to give over? Even right. members of his own household, he's willing to hand over to Ben-Hadad. And then Ben-Hadad sends word to him again and says, okay, I know what I said before, but here's the thing. My servants are coming. I just don't want what you send me. My servants are coming and they're going to go through all your stuff and all your mm -hmm. palace and you all your people. And they're going to pick the ones that get to come back. That's how this is going to work. And they have is like, wait, wait, wait. That's just too much. I, I'm not going to do that. That I, I can do the first thing you said, but not with that. Your servants coming in and picking everything, picking and choosing. That's not how it's going to mm -hmm. work. So maybe Ahab already had an idea. Okay, I'll send him some ladies. I'll send him some, yeah. you know, whatever. Who knows? I don't know how this worked, but I know that Ahab is definitely not willing to go this far. I kind of get so, the feeling he really wasn't willing to send anything, but he said but he, he was trying to just, trying to buy some time. And, yeah, probably. Who knows? I mean, Ahab just he's out for himself, so he's mm -hmm. trying to figure a way to make this work. But when Ben Hadad says this, he's like, nope, it won't work that way. He goes to his own advisors and says, you know, this is what I'm being told by this other king. And they're like, nope, you're right to draw the line in the sand mm -hmm. here. Don't do it. Right. So he just sends back word that says, hey, let him let not him who straps on his armor boast himself, at, uh, boast himself as he who takes it off. So the guy who's going out to the battle boasting might not be the one who comes back boasting. Mm -hmm. So be careful what you're saying, man, you're going to, we're going to battle now. We'll see who wins this thing. And so that's when Ben Haydad receives that word back and he says, okay, guys, strap it on, go get in your positions. We're going to war. Yeah. Yeah. So, so right now we're like watching Ahab. We know Ahab already is not a good guy, but we're watching him right now going, Hmm, I wouldn't like that demand either. Right. That wouldn't be so, so even though I don't, I don't really like Ahab, but boy, I can see how he's been put in a bad position here. And this is not, uh, Israel shouldn't have to put up with this kind of evil either. These are neither one good kings. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it's important to note that this is going on. Like we've just had this story, a whole story about Elijah mm -hmm. and what's going on with him and Elisha. But at the same time, this is going on yes. in Israel with yes. Ahab. Right. And so during this time, yeah. so we haven't had these other kings anointed yet. Mm -hmm. And this is what's going on with the kings of Syria and Israel yes. right now. Correct. So so we were told about, yes, like you just said, the anointing like of the kings that's going to come. We were told about that in chapter 19, but we haven't reached that yet. Now we're getting to... With, this is where King stops for a moment and gives me a very close-up look on Ahab and his reign and the kind of things that he's doing that has led to his judgment and his ultimate removal. Right. So, so it's not a timeline like, okay, well, this happened with right. Elisha. And then this, I think it's probably going on at the same time. I think it is too. I while, think it's probably going while on While Elijah has been going to Horeb and all this all stuff, of these is, things. you know, whatever's happening. Yeah. Uh, we don't know how many Multiple years are things passing, happening. But... Yeah. There are different, definitely at least, you know, a few years going to pass here. We so I know think that. that could be confusing. We're used to, it will be. We're used to reading things in the West. In linear, as, strict yeah, linear, linear sequence. But this is not a newspaper. Right. It's not 
that kind of journalism. Right. It's um, very so, different. So. so like you're saying, I know Ahab is already bad and he's gone off the rails. I know that. And, and Jezebel and where she's led him and where she's led the nation. I get all that. So I get all the way up to the end of 19 and I've seen Elijah and what Elijah's, Elijah's been told and how, um, and how Elijah is called to anoint new Kings and this is going on. And now it takes me to the point in now it jumps me over to Ahab and what's been going on in his reign that has really led up to the point of having to have him removed. It's giving me a very, it's not super clear. It's giving me, it's telling me in a way that I'm going to have to read into and understand what's really going on here, but it's zooming in on Ahab and his reign. And it's given me a big sandwich in chapters 20 through 22 is a big sandwich. So two pieces on the ends that look very similar. And then a piece in the middle first chapter 21, that's going to make everything come together for me to show me what it is that Ahab, why it is that Ahab cannot be left on the throne anymore. Yes. So that's what yeah. we've started here as we're getting into it. And it's giving us the first part in this battle idea uh, that we're, we're seeing shape up. Okay. And okay. I think we have time to do one more. We can do a little section. At least we can start it. Let's put, let's see where we go in this next little section. See okay. how far we can get. Okay.